It's Alex here. And Kiki. On this episode, we're delving into the archives to discover a musical about one of history's hidden queer icons. Writer-director Abby Bradbury and actor-musician Sam Kearney Edwards join us to talk about Julie the Musical, inspired by the life of Julie de Albany. They take us through how they made a musical about a real historical figure. The gender-bending, multi-rolling roller coaster of characters in the show. And balancing historical accuracy with creative storytelling. Welcome to Making, Making a, a Musical, musical the, the Future, future of, of British Musical, musical Theatre. Kiki, I am so excited about today's guests. We are going to be talking about a queer musical, a joyous musical, an actor muso musical. There's so much to enjoy. Tell us who's on the podcast today. Yes, we have Julie the Musical on today's podcast. And with us, we have Abby Bradbury and Sam Kearney Edwards. Hello. Hello. Um, so, Abby, you are the writer-director and Sam actor-muso on the show. Tell us a little bit more. Alex gave us a nice little teaser, but I know this is quite historically based as well. So give us a little bit more information on, on Julie the Musical. Yeah, so it's, um, it's a show about uh, Julie Daubigny, who... Apologies for the pronunciation. If you're French, that was probably very wrong. Um, but it sounded she, great. It sounded great. Yeah, you convinced me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, Julie Domnier is one of my favourite historical figures. She was one of the first uh, openly queer bisexual women. Um, she was also just absolutely crackers and the most chaotic person. So she was around in the kind of late 1600s, 1700s France. Um, she was a famous opera singer. Uh, she was a famous sword woman duelist. And... Um, like I said, she's had the most chaotic life. She's famous for burning down a convent when she was 17 because she wanted to run away with one of the nuns. Um, she kissed a woman in front of the French royal court and then three separate men challenged her to a duel and she went, yeah, all right, I'll fight you all at once, right now, outside. And she beat them all. And so how do we kind of, how do we know this about her? You know, what, what kind of research and um, historical records do we have and how much of this is sort of built into the show and part of the writing process? Yes, it's... Uh, it's quite interesting finding out about Julie's life because we the documents that we have are quite spaced out and we don't have that much official documents to go on because as a queer woman in history, they're often lost to time. Uh, so what we do have is a lot of like a few court documents and then some opera cast lists that have her name in them and then a lot of pamphlets and kind of songs from the time and the kind of trashy mags of the time and all these rumours stuff. Um, and so it's a bit like... I say if someone in 400 years wanted to write a show about Meghan Markle, but all they had as sources was her marriage certificate, an episode of Suits and the Daily Mail. <laughs> like that's the kind of research documents that we have. So it's quite fun being able to kind of piece a person's life together from that way. You take everything with a pinch of salt. And um, so in the show, we, we have a thing where everything is historically factual as in it was recorded in some way, all the events that happened, the, the characterizations and motivations are our creation but the facts themselves like the events are are true according to history there's been a lot of discussion about this lately hasn't there with with series like the crown and bridgerton and these kind of um historical dramas which are actually you know it, it is somebody's take on history which of course all of history is how much did that influence your your writing yes i think it's like that trying to find the person behind the figure as it were um so like we have those events that we know this happened. So like we know, for example, that she burnt down the room in a convent and was accused of kidnapping this girl. And then we know after three months after this event, that girl went home to her family and they never saw each other again. But that's kind of all, that's like the facts of it. But then it's finding the 
characters and the people behind that so like why how did they get to that point why did they do this why did she feel like she had to burn it down why did they go back to her family and not see each other was it uh did she want to go back did it was it a mutual thing was it she was was she paid off like it's finding that person behind the kind of official research of it finding the human element underneath I think that's really interesting in, in talking about how that informs your creative process. Because, again, as you were saying, there's a lot of pieces in popular culture, in musicals as well. I mean, probably most well known, Six and Hamilton, that deal with historical figures, but through the eyes of a creative lens and, and telling stories. What is it that you want people to to get or audiences to take away from this telling of Julie's story? Yeah, I think it's like I was saying, it's seeing that real person behind it. And the fact that these kind of mad historical figures that we hear about who did these incredible things were still just normal people at the end of the day who had their own like flaws and fears and desires and loves. And then also the queer element of it that, as I was saying, a lot of queer history, especially queer women in history is often whitewashed or brushed over or it's, you know, they were roommates. They're not allowed to be queer. And so it's having that. This is a show that's celebrating a woman who was very openly queer, who her kind of struggles and things in life don't come from the fact that she was queer. They come from the fact that she was the villain of her own story. She was just a not the best person at times, but <laughs> her like queerness is just there and it's part of it. And that has always been in history. It's not a new thing that's just come out in the past few years of like oh everybody's gay it's like there's always been queer people throughout history and it's good to just see their stories and just seeing queer people be on stage yeah without it being a tragedy i feel like it does fall into the thing of it's either a, a big queer show which is it's very camp and very in your face gay which is wonderful and has a place or it's a tragedy and it, and it's kind of seen it like being gay is seen as this life sentence and like hearing a story that is so celebratory about someone who was real, I think kind of has a different vibe than a lot of things that are out there. Um, it's more celebratory rather than it being a tragedy. You know, someone has to die normally in a lot of queer stories. So even though Julie does die, but that's only because she's yeah, old. So, well, we'll just I mean, move it, over. It's, spoilers. It's set 400 years ago. It'd be weird if she was still alive. This is true. <laughs> so uh, let's hear the first song from the show, which uh, we're going to play for you, which is Me, Myself and I. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
chairs to entertain my restless feet But I can't spend another day inside just this suite I have guests and I have tutors I'm learning more than I have ever dreamed But the thing he doesn't seem to get is that I need to be seen It's well and good saying Paris is lying at my feet But what good's being in Paris when I'm only watching from my window seat? I should be out there with my future fans wandering these streets. Dominique wants to dance, but there's not a chance unless I'm dancing to my own beat. Me, myself, and I just do as I choose and kiss the rest goodbye. Got nothing to lose, my life will be an opera and I'll be a cliche. So come on, world, come and welcome me. Maybe more than I have Debauchery and sin Raise the kettle Lift the lid of the box I'm in Cause now I'm playing And I'm playing to win Then let the show begin That beat is so great Immediately when you hear The beginning of that song You just think this is a musical that I want to go and see, don't you think? You know exactly what you're going to get from the first 30 seconds and it was joyous and I... We haven't spoken about it, but a lot of that, I think, is tied into the actor and muso-ness of it. Do you, it'd be good to kind of chat about your process, why you decided this was, A, a piece of gig theatre, and and B, actor muso. Yes, I think there was a, in the writing of it, there was a few kind of different elements that came together for that. Um, so one is the kind of the framing of the story is that it is Julie has written this show herself. She's like, hello. This is a st- this is the show of my life. I am the star. Here we go. Um, which can tell she's very humble from the song. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that felt like it was the kind of thing who's the only person who can tell this story is Julie herself. And so that makes sense for it to be a kind of gig style with the kind of band element. She's the front man mm. of that. And then also on that comes my kind of process of writing because I'm I don't do sheet music really. I don't read or write sheet music. I do more kind of band playing where it's a lot of kind of jamming together and kind of do a lot of folk music where you just kind of improvise with people in a room. You just go like, these are the chords. This is a progression. Let's add in some sexy saxophone. Off you go. Yes. Um, and so that really helps with an actor muso show that you get those kind of people in that helps with my kind of writing process. And then the third kind of element is that um, I really want this to be a show that is kind of owned by the cast as well. It's such an ensemble show that it means that every time we get a new cast, the show completely changes. Like it changes who plays what, who character wise and who plays instruments. Like it depends what people play. You whack it in. You'd be like, do we have a flautist? Yes. We'll put some flute in. Do we have someone who plays the accordion? Yes. We'll whack whack a bit of that in. Um, And it means that every time we have a new cast and a new people taking the show, there's a real sense of ownership of being their show as well as just like, mine as a writer it's also the cast and the team show as well and so how does that work in terms of um cast members the the wider creative team tell us who is it that's kind of making up that wider team uh yeah so i am um obviously the writer and i'm directing this time as well um and i am a a queer person so it feels right that is this kind of story that I, yeah. it's me writing the kind of stories that I want to see on stage, writing the kind of roles that I mm. want to play and want to see on stage. Um, and then there's kind of been a kind of core team who have helped develop from the beginning, including Sam. 
But when Abby first came to me with the show, it was, I have this idea for a show. I've seen this meme. It was great. And um, it kind of developed from there. So we did the first R&D that was in Leeds at Leeds yes. Playhouse. And we had the, the space for a week where we were able to just kind of get ideas out there and kind of put a base storyline. Abby bro- brought all the work and then we kind of went, which order should it go in? Because it's such a a big story and so many things happen that it's and so many characters that's one thing that yeah, I, think there's like, I think we counted there's something ridiculous like 50 characters like oh wow <laughs> the show uh played by five people mainly four because julie yeah julie does it's just julie, just julie and julie. then four people play <laughs> everybody else um yeah go ahead. but yeah and then we um from there we kind of it kind of grew you went away wrote the rest of the music kind of had a a good first draft of the show um, and then we did our second R and D. Was that this January? God, everything goes so fast. Yeah, what is that time? Was last January, twenty twenty two, and then and we did like a concert version of the show, which was so we we did a scratch night originally. I feel like I need to tell the story. Oh, we did a scratch night originally, and um, me and Abby were doing Christmas shows, and we were we were very tired. We drove in the morning an hour, an hour and a half to do the tech. Then we drove another hour back, did the the children's show, and then drove back to do the show in the evening. And it was like a scratch night. And from what we thought, we were thought it was like a. It, it was a uh, developing pieces, so we had so a script we, in hand. Yeah, you we know, had no costumes. It was just three of us. It was like we've got scripts in our hands. We've it got was, some like really honky tonk piano recordings. Yeah, that I've it was on my little MIDI keyboard. Me, me and Abby <laughs> and Mary, our friend who who yeah. works IKEA. So we were like just kind of throw this together. Um, and it was in the height of COVID, and everyone was wearing masks. And Abby goes, <laughs> "So fucking a nun." Silence. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Not we even did, a chuckle. We did this 20 minutes. So we did Me, Myself and I, that song. We did another few songs and there was no applause. <laughs> there was just dead silence. We, because people were in mass, we couldn't even see if people were smiling. It was like, I nearly... Yeah, and was oh, like, this is it. This is in the, the car last park. Thing that's ever been done. In the car park, like Abby, it's okay. Calm down. We'll just we'll go to sleep, and then tomorrow morning we'll talk about. It. I'm like, no, it is good. Abby's like, no, it's awful. It's Everyone worse. hates it. Um, but then we did the 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 first concert after the the second R and D, and Abby said the line, and it got a huge laugh, and you could just see the relief. Just Abby was like, oh, we thank got God. A video recording, you can see me like gripping the yeah. microphone, <laughs> and then when it, you can see the moment when like we get the first laughs, and it, I'm it's visibly like, relaxed. Oh God, thank um, God. It sounds yeah. like comedy and, and cabaret is so integral to the show um and, and and like you say getting that first laugh letting people know that actually they can laugh at the show they can laugh with you it's so important mm-hmm. isn't it yeah mm-hmm. and especially because it's got such like a stand-up element so it's kind of like it's it's kind of gig theater because we've got the kind of band act and musical element but then it's also almost part stand-up show and there's like interaction with the audience and kind of talking to the audience in that way and then there's also more traditional theater bits where we have like a tap dance and so it's a kind of mesh of everything and we have to where every song is in a different kind of musical style as well. So we go from like a punk rock song into a cabaret style jazz number into a really like soft, quiet ukulele singer songwriter number into a Hamilton knockoff. Like <laughs> we're going all over the place. So it's a real kind of fusion of everything and everybody doing everything on stage. And yeah. And Abby, you mentioned earlier that you, you don't write music via sheet music so what if we really unpick your process how do you write music uh, so i have my, my kind of own way of writing is kind of the way i was taught music was by my my granddad taught me by basically he had 
have my piano lessons as like a small seven-year-old undiagnosed ADHD kid. And he'd be like, have you practiced your scales and your pieces for your exam? And I go, no, but I've written you a song. Can I play it for you? And he'd go, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then I'd like play some notes and he'd be like, well, if you put your fingers like this underneath, that makes a chord and look how good that sounds. And if you do this chord, then to go to that one, go from major to minor, that sounds like that. So I kind of learned more that way of kind nice. of just messing about on a piano and figuring it out and um it's quite funny because at the minute we've got our new cast in and um i have one of my favorite chords that i use in so many songs that i just call a hopeful f i'm like it's a jazzy hopeful f Ooh. <laughs> and then i've discovered it's called an f sus two and i'm like oh my god it's got an actual name I it was just you know a jazzy f <laughs> we're just wagging a jazzy f um so yeah it's, it's quite nice working with people who have that kind of slightly more technical knowledge for me to be like yeah so i can play it on like this i'll play it on the piano and like these are the rhythms and I'll kind of sing it to people and they'll go right okay so it's one and two and three and four and you've written this in an e-harmonic minor scale and I'll be like I know exactly what that is yeah. yes absolutely this is you just um, nod and smile yes yeah, smile and nod that's um, my intention but, but it's really nice it means that it's that proper like collaboration where um, it's so nice having it like I hear it in my head and I, I can play it and then teach it to someone else and then they take it and they can kind of elevate it and then someone else will come in who maybe doesn't have the technical knowledge, but go like, oh, I've discovered if I like whack in this bass line, I could like do a slappy bass. And then that sounds really funky. And it's like, oh my God, yeah. And it kind of builds like that. And yeah. that's why, that's how I really enjoy writing. And I think it's quite an open process as well. It means that more people can be involved mm-hmm. in writing musicals. So I feel there's a, a feeling sometimes that people feel like they can't be a musical writer or they can't write music because they don't know yeah. what like a c chord is on a piano but it's absolutely not that like you can you just need to have a bit of a musical so... ear and be happy to have a go and sometimes have a bit of a bum note now and then and go oh that didn't work Let's, uh, <laughs> there's the just one. so many blocks in the way i think for um people like because i i too don't so a lot of the time we're in rehearsals and abby's like if you just make a little triangle with your finger on the guitar and i'm like oh yeah that's that note um so i feel like in this situation it kind of allows people who haven't had that formal training who say because i personally haven't been to drama school you know um and kind of having that experience and i think it's a it's a different experience in itself not having that training because you your ear develops differently. Like I grew up around folk music and my nana is in a folk band and we we learn music that way by repeating and it growing and changing. And I think how Julie's come about is very similar to that. And it's very similar to how the songs at the time would have stayed around as yeah. well. People singing yeah. it in bars, people singing it in clubs to each other, you yeah. know. And it's how a lot of like other music is made today. So it is like mm-hmm. how bands make music and how kind of single songwriters make music is less kind of sitting down and writing out to a score and giving it to some musicians and going, play the song. It's more, they sit around and be like, who's yes. got a bass line? Oh yeah, let's build on More that. collaborative, and, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking, you know, Elton John doesn't read sheet music. So like one of our greatest songwriters, you know, uh, doesn't read sheet music. And I think you're right. There's a, there's a really rich history of that and actually a history of passing on music by ear that goes back way longer mm-hmm. than sheet music mm-hmm. does. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's fantastic. Um, the next song we're we're going to listen to from Julie is called Love of God. Can you set that in the context of where it sits in the show? And actually, I think you've got a little bit of a story on how that, this piece has progressed. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so this is one of the, um, it's actually one of the very first songs I wrote for Julie. 
Um, because a part of the way I do kind of story structure is I tend to go for like the big bits first and then we can fill in the middle. If we've got a, if we've got a strong beginning and a strong end and a strong climax in the middle, we can fill in the rest later. And so this was originally an idea for the end of act one, which it now isn't. It's now like in the middle of act, in the middle of act one because too much stuff happens afterwards. Um, but the idea of this song is that this is Julie has started a relationship with a girl who um, in our version is called Amelie. Um, whose family don't like the idea of two women together. Absolutely not. To a nunnery, you go off to a convent. Uh, so Amelie has just been sent to a convent. And then this is Julie tracking her down and their whole escape plan. Um, and this is one of those where yeah, it was written as originally the end of act one. And I was like, right, let's have a big kind of epic end of act one song a big like you know defying gravity is your end of act one in wicked you have these big like non-stop in hamilton these big oh epic numbers so i was like let's write an epic 80s ballad i was like yes this is bonnie tyler meets oh yeah the church oh and i wrote it first of all i've got like voice notes of me doing it on my little plinky plonky midi keyboard and it's very like sultry and very slow <laughs> and very epic and like oh yeah and then um every R&D that we've done, it's kind of got sillier and sillier as it's gone on and it's become more and more of a comedy number of, as we've developed these characters of like, who is Amelie? What is their relationship with Julie? How do they interact with each other? How do we show nuns and a burning down <laughs> convent yeah. and a dead nun on stage? That's how the twerking nuns um, came about. Yeah, so the, sorry. obviously we're on a podcast. Twerking. You heard nuns. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, is, that, is that our new band name, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually my autobiography yeah. name. I mean, yeah. we, we took the show to Edinburgh Fringe last year and the amount of tickets we sold when we were like, do you like twerking nuns? And people yeah. were like, yeah. People like yes, it. I they do. really do. So yeah, so you, uh, you can, it's really funny how it started off as this like super serious, oh yeah, this is going to be the really epic end of act one super serious oh and now it is twerking nuns Are you saying? 
slow kind of earnest bits that's when the twerking happens oh yeah there's no there's yeah. no other place for it in in slow motion it's slow motion twerking <laughs> then goes to full speed full-on twerking full speed and twerking. presumably that's when the convent burns down as well oh yes yeah yeah through the medium of, of red material ribbon dance it's an artistic and choice it's, yeah. you know the magic of <laughs> the magic of theater. the thing is i can see it now but the ironic thing is you too can see it. Oh, did you see how smooth that was? That was very good. That was very good. Um, you guys are actually in rehearsals as we speak we for a tour. Yeah, so we are touring again, and it's quite exciting because it's our. Um, we toured last year with a kind of one act version, went to a lot of fringes. This year is the two act version. It's expanded, so we're adding more stuff in. We've got new songs, we've got new characters adding on to the 50 we already have. <laughs> um, and so, yes, yeah, so we're currently in, in rehearsals at the minute. We've got new cast. Um, so yeah, so it's really fun kind of piecing everything together again. So tell us about the cast, because you said there's five cast members, but but 50 characters. So how do you even go about starting to cast something like that? Oh, okay. Um, well, <laughs> uh, when it was decided that the show was going to be more actor muso this year, we did complete open calls. Um, that was just because we wanted it to be, well, Abby did, wanted it to be complete. I say we like it's both ways, just Abby. Um, doing the open auditions because we wanted it to be actor muso. And that was the main kind of vibe behind it. Um, it was open auditions and then the auditions were workshop auditions to see how people work well together. Um, as a neurodivergent person myself, just going to drop that one in there. Um, it Same. was it was great for me because I, I do struggle with, you know, formal audition settings and being able to work with people and kind of see the vibe of the room was really lovely. Um, the cast that we've got now um, is a wonderful, beautiful, talented cast and they're all lovely, um, but also such open people um, who are willing to collaborate and willing to change and willing to just pick up a bass and play it, yeah, even though they've never like, played it before. Play any character. So we have like, um, it's kind of cast all gender blind because gender is a societal construct. So we have like AFAB people playing male characters and AMAP people playing female characters. Um, 
And that's assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth. Yes. But, um, as you so say. Yeah, and we're like, our cast is a whole melting pot. So we have people who are cis, we have people who are non-binary. We have, we kind of, we, we hit all, I think we hit all the letters of LGBT. <laughs> oh. Yes. Yeah, Probably maybe L, do we have a? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. We'll but see. we're open, so. Yeah. <laughs> It's a. I think with this with this show that the thing that I really love is is having those characters played by so um, female characters played by AMAD people, but it not being um, it not being performative, it not being kind of panto. I love panto, but it's not panto. It's it's playing it in a way that an, an AMAD person can play a female, in, and it's not funny. It's just the part that they're playing, which I think is really lovely to see. It's not made a thing of. It's just who they are, which yeah. I love. I think what's really special about that is the authenticity that it brings to a show. You can definitely tell as an audience member when somebody is in a show that they can feel authentically themselves in and that they can tell, you know, a kind of history of their authentic story, the generations which we stand on top of or ahead of as queer people. Um, That feels really special. Yeah, and it's so nice seeing, like, again, as I said, it's a very celebratory of mm-hmm. queerness being written and performed by queer people in a just a really joyous space is just something that's really nice and wonderful to watch so where does your tour take you <laughs> so we have a show starting in at new wimbledon down here in london um, and then we have a week at king's head down here as well which is part of their nt pride lab so it's a whole bunch of new queer exciting musicals uh, that'll be a shorter Short version of the show, it'll be like an hour-long concert version of the highlights. Uh, then we're heading back up to our hometown, Manchester, um, where we have a week at Hope Mill, uh, which is very exciting because that's a beautiful theatre up north. We're from Manchester, so it's like, oh, yes, our hometown. <laughs> um, and then we have a few more northern dates as well. We have uh, Leeds Carriage Works, uh, Hull Truck, and we have shows at Shakespeare North Playhouse um, as well, which is a new theatre up there. And then we finish our tour here at the other palace at the end of July. <laughs> so we have a whole weekend that we're very excited for. Very. When, we, when we were like, oh yes, we're coming to the palace. I think we were, we'd just done a show, one of our fringe shows and we kind of came out and we all sat outside and we're like, what? The palace. what? <laughs> <laughs> I have a picture somewhere on my phone of all of us just gobsmacked. <laughs> what I love about this as well is with um, the tour kind of with, with venues, not next to each other in terms of dates, but quite close to each other geographically. It's great because if I come and see the show at New Wimbledon, I can go and tell all of my friends and they won't have missed it. You yeah. know, it will be, you, you've got dates coming up and coming back. And I think that's, that's fantastic. Because and you can so come difficult. again, come twice, yeah. come thrice, come four times. <laughs> come to the entire, all the different improvs that we just throw in on the night. <laughs> well, I can't wait to book a ticket. Well, tickets are on sale at theotherpalace.co.uk. Julie is running from the 25th to the 30th of July. And um, you have to come see some twerking nuns. Obviously. Obviously. (laughs) Making a Musical is produced and hosted by Alex Jackson and Kiki Stevenson for The Other Palace. If you've enjoyed this episode, follow and rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps us share new British musical theatre with audiences all around the world. You can submit your new musical to be featured on the podcast at theotherpalace.co.uk. That's it from us. Join us next time for more Making Making a a Musical, musical, the the future future of British musical musical theatre. 